making disciples together every day. That is our mission statement. That's where, as elders, that's uh, what we've been wrestling with. And I know it seems simplistic, but it took us a long time to get to that statement because really every church, you know, has been given the great commission to go and make disciples who make disciples also in light of the great commandment that we are called to love God deeply and then from that we are to love others. And so how do we do that as a church? And so what we did is we crafted these four words together and it's making, so that's what we want to do. That's what we've been sent to do. We're making disciples, learners of Christ. We are learners of Christ to be more like him. We want to do this together. It's not just the person that's on the platform, on the stage, or who you hire as a pastoral staff or team. It's not just the elders, the men that God has placed to guard over this body. It's everyone. We want to do this together as a church family. This is why I believe that he's put us together in this particular context, in this particular place, because we have all kinds of unique gifts and abilities that fit together rightly. And so as I want you to use that in a very unique and specific way to make disciples. So we want to make disciples together, and we want to do it not just on Sunday morning, and not just on Wednesday night if you're part of student life, and not just... Uh, when you gather for your life groups, but I want you to do this every day. To infuse, but this makes sense, right? Because you have said yes to Jesus Christ. You have said yes to him. And what you say when you said yes to him is that you are treasuring him, you are valuing him, you are placing everything below your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have said yes to him because I um, love God as my Father. I love Jesus as my Savior and Lord and the Holy Spirit who's inside of me, who directs and guides me. I love that more than anything else in my life, more than my spouse, more than my kids, more than my job, more than anything, my status, whatever it is, I love you more than all of that. Because I know that if I go in that order, then that's the best way that I'm going to be able to love the people that are close to me. And so he says, when you say yes to me, it's not just something that all I want you to do now is, all right, I want you to go to a place, whether it's an auditorium or a building, and I want you to sit for an hour, and you're going to, you know, worship together through music and encourage each other, hopefully, and then listen to someone share about my word. And then that, to me, is what I'm calling you to, is that right there. Then you can go home, and you can watch football, or you can play golf, or do whatever you do, go to work, go to school, and you come back and you do it again on, on Sunday. No, that's not what he calls us to do. When you are a learner of Christ and you see his life play out on this earth in the New Testament, you see him engaging with people all the time. 
And that's what he calls us to. So that's our mission. That's what we're called to do. Our vision, every life being transformed by the love of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that to me gets me excited. I pray that in your life, that when you said yes to Jesus Christ and you said yes to everything, being adopted as a son, being adopted as a daughter, and, and now you have all these brothers and sisters and saying yes to this promise that you will be with God, your Father in heaven forever and ever, amen. That you just don't want to be selfish and keep that inside because God was so generous so generous, right, with his son, and he lavished that on us, and he said, here it is as a free gift. I want you to say yes to that, and if you say yes to that, why wouldn't you want to have and see more people do the very same thing? We do this all the time with the things that we're excited about whether it's an Android product, whether it's an Apple product, those are just two examples. People are very passionate about either one. And they'll let you know if you're on the opposite end of whatever that is. <laughs> right? We're so passionate, we want people to be on that particular side of the equation. We are passionate. We want people to be passionate with us. We're trying to convert them. We do this all the time, then why don't we do this in our life as a follower of Christ? That's what we want to see. So our mission is making disciples together every day. And our vision is what? So that's what we're all about. This is what we want, this is what should get us excited. This is why we are doing this at Finding Life Church. One of the things that my wife and I like to do, we like to go to Colorado. I like to go to Colorado because um, not only to visit my daughter and her husband, but also I just like the mountains. I like the scenery. I like um, all of that and more. And invariably, when I am there, almost every time I will look out at the mountains and I will go, man, can you imagine what it must have been like if you were a person eons ago that was traveling from the east because they were going to wanting to experience a better life in the West. And they were part of that pioneer group that would get in those wagons and they would travel along that Mormon or Oregon Trail. And sitting before them is this massive mountainous range with all the trees and the river and the rocks and thinking, how in the world are we going to make it through and really what's on the other side? And if you think about it, I think about that, I think about that a fair amount when I'm there. What must have that been like? 
not having any roads, not having any sense of direction, not having GPS, not having a phone, not having a restaurant or a fueling station that had a restroom inside with a running toilet and all of that good stuff. I mean, what must have that been like to be there in that moment thinking, what in the world did we just do? But they pressed on and they went forward. And they had a few resources with them in their wagon, on their horses, and they had family more than likely with them, and then they had an extended family because they went in a group most of the time. But one thing they had, which I think really drove them, was this hope, this hope of a better life that was being promised to them if they went to the West, this hope of maybe newfound riches and this hope of having this freedom that comes with this newfound life and these newfound riches. And so I think that is what kept them going, drove them to do extreme things. I don't know if you've, I, I was just, um, I read a little bit of an article in the Omaha World Herald about the young man in Lincoln who won um, on the show called Alone on the History Channel. I don't know if you've seen that series, but he won $500,000. And the premise is this, is they take, I don't know how many, I think 10 or 12, and they drop them off in a remote place, and they said they give them whatever they can take in a backpack, and they said survive. They don't have a camera crew with them. They have their GoPro or whatever it is, and they're to document their time. And then the person who lasts the longest, the last person standing wins the prize. And in this case, it was a half a million dollars. And I watched the last episode because the guy in Lincoln won it. And I was intrigued by what it took, the resolve it took to get to that point. He lasted 60 days. All the, I think it was 11, the 11 um, before him um, bowed out for whatever reason, whatever reason. And I watched, there was three left on that episode that I watched. And the two that um, bowed out before he did, it was interesting as I listened to them talk into that GoPro and, and document their own story was that they felt um, alone. There was this intense loneliness that was there. And um, they uh, were dreaming of, right, uh, I want my family, because they were all married and they had children and there is this life that I miss, and I miss it so much that I need to stay. No, and I'm stopping, and I'm calling it in. The last guy, I mean, his resolve was, I mean, he was also lonely and, you know, the point of quitting. But the thing that kept him going was this hope of providing for his family, that evidently was stronger than the other 11. And that's what I imagine that hope that the pioneers had um, as they looked at this daunting, whether it was this daunting mountainous range or probably entering into Iowa and Nebraska, this 
huge flat expanse of land. And they believed it so much that they just kept pushing and kept plotting and kept going no matter what was going on. I mean, we, right, when my wife and I travel to Colorado, it's, I don't know, what is it, eight and a half hours a drive, and, and if we were to do it with our kids, you know, we're traveling at 75 miles an hour, quote unquote, and we're in our car and there's no dust and comfort, you know, air conditioning, just at the right temperature, whether it's hot or cold, we can adjust and make it right. And we have all the amenities that we need. We can stop when we need to, go to the restroom and comfort, you know, eat when we need to, fuel up when we need to. And yet we still, we still go, oh, this is so long. And if you have kids, they'll go, are we there yet? Can you imagine being in a wagon and you're traveling, you know, at two or three or four miles per hour, whatever it is, and every 15 minutes, the kid in the back of the wagon is going, are we there yet? <laughs> it's just amazing to me, and I'm thinking that every time I go to Colorado, every time I see this mountain range, I, I think that same thing. My wife is getting tired of me probably saying that, but there's something in my heart that resonates with that pioneering spirit. And it's being shaped and molded because I have this hope in Jesus Christ. And I said yes to him at the age of 10. And I've just been continued to grow in Christ-likeness in my life. And I've had um, some bad experiences in church and some very good experiences in church. And people that I've connected with and people who don't like me and whatnot. And it's all molded and shaped me into this person that I am standing right before you today. And I have this hope that someday that I am going to be in heaven with a whole bunch of people and it's just going to be incredible. And that's what keeps me going. I not only have that hope of that, but I also have this mission that God has sent me on to be a part of making disciples who make disciples. And I have this hope and this dream of it being um, something that's going to continue, to continue, to continue, to continue. That we're making disciples. We're really making disciples, not just making people who are comfortable inviting people to a Sunday morning, but really, truly making disciples, learners of Christ, where the fruit of the Spirit is becoming more and more evident in their life, where the peace of Christ is a solid foundation for them so that no matter what comes in your life, it doesn't matter what comes into your life. And it may sway you, and it may rock you back and forth, left and right, or whatever, and it may even bring you to your knees, but you're not going to be moved because you have the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. And you've said yes to him. And it doesn't matter because you know that God loves you. 
And you're to love others. And he sent you on a mission. Which means he sent all of us on a mission together. This pioneering spirit has connected my heart with this church. Clear from the beginning. Clear from the beginning, nine and a half years ago, in my heart, there was something there that connected me to this church. There was something different going on. Right? That is what I, I remember. I can look back at all the texts that Jake and I had and, and and I just looked back at him this week, and one of the things that I kept seeing throughout this thread is that, Kevin, what you'll begin to learn is that we don't do things the same. We do things different around here. And I think that's true. And that's part of what has drawn my wife and I here, is that I have seen that we just haven't quite been able to fully grasp what it means to make disciples to make disciples in all the context of where we've been. It's not a knock on that. It's just that I want something more. I want to really do this as a church family. And I believe that God has brought us here because this is a group of people that while it's going to be hard, you know, there's going to be some that are right on board with me and there's going to be some that, you know, are just kind of in that crowd and they'll go, but then there's going to be some that are kind of lagging behind and that's okay, but we're all moving in the same direction. And there's this group of people that really want to do this and that's what I'm talking about. That's what we've been dreaming about, been praying about for this whole year, about really developing a system a church that is going to continue that pioneering spirit. That's why I had Travis ask you that question. That pioneering spirit that was present, that needed to be present when Jake and Anne Marie and family and the group of people that were here started this church because they believed in something different. And now my wife and I get to become, you know, nine and a half years later and we get to join that um, for lack of a better term, this wagon train that's moving. And we see this daunting task of what does it really mean to make disciples, to really be obedient to what Christ has called us to, to really do this mission that he sent us on. And I believe that we've come to this place where we believe this is going to do it. And that gets me excited. And I pray that you have this pioneering spirit with my wife and I. It's not going to be easy. If it was easy, then everyone would do it. But you have something in your heart, I believe, that wants something more. Otherwise, I don't think you would be here. And so we have something that's been a part of my life is this whole gospel fluency thing and it really um, found something that I believe is going to help us um, and it's not perfect, right? There's nothing on this earth that's perfect but it's a great system and we'll tweak it along the way and all of that so it's not saying that it's perfect and, and, and just understand that that's underneath all of this. But this is where we're headed. This is what we're going to try. This is what we're going to pioneer and, and we're not the only church that's doing this. 
There are other churches across America that are doing this. And so when I liken it to this going out west thing, it's like we're not the very first um, group of people that have gone out west. We are, you know, maybe six or seven um, groups later. And so there's a trail already being blazed. There's this track that's already there. It's not deep yet, but we can follow it and we can learn from the ones that have gone before us and we can adapt and tweak whatever it is, staying true to God's word and all of that as we move forward. And that's where we are at. In some sense, that's where we're at. In another sense, in Omaha, no one else is doing this like we're going to, that we are proposing and moving towards. So what I'm asking, what I'm asking you is to say yes with my wife and I. I'm asking you in your heart to say yes to this. And I read this in a book I was reading this week, and it just resonated with my heart. And I want you to think about this. When we see the small word yes, three letters, and then the other word no, two letters, these very different words. And in the context of thinking about saying yes to Jesus or saying no to him, No is an ending, while yes marks a beginning. No closes the door, while yes kicks it open. No warns me to turn back, while yes beckons me forward. No is an act of finality, while yes is an expression of faith. This author, Kathleen Norris, said this. If you think about it, and uh, one of the first words that infants will learn is what besides mom and dad it's usually which word yes or no no and there was some that said it emphatically right there's a lot of little boys and girls that they will say no even when they mean yes it's just no 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 and you want to go ah why is it hard for us to say yes Why is it hard for infants to learn the word yes? Why is it hard for adults to learn the word yes? She writes, an unqualified yes, and that's an important word before yes, unqualified, because we like to go yes, but. An unqualified yes is is a harder sell to both children and adults. To say yes is to make a leap of faith, to risk oneself in a new and often scary relationship. Not being quite sure of what we are doing or where it will lead us, we try on ascent, we commit ourselves to affirmation. With luck, we find that our efforts are rewarded. It's scary to say yes. It's risky to say yes. It's costly to say yes. And as Christians, we are taught to say no to a lot of choices And that's good. But speaking the yes word with conviction and hope is one of the most Christ-like things that we can do while we are on this planet. And our lives should be so open to God that our first impulse is a sacred yes to him when he says, I want you to leave your job in Kearney and I want you to go to this smaller church in Omaha and be a part of what I want to do through this group of people And he's 
And we wrestled with this, but we finally said if we didn't say yes, we knew that we would be in disobedience. And so we said yes. And my prayer is that you would say yes with us. I learned something new that I hadn't heard before. And I apologize in advance for all of you that hate football. But I give a lot of football illustrations because I love football. Anyway, one of the things that Nebraska is going to do, possibly, that they did at the University of Central Florida was that on the helmets of the players, they would put their area code on their helmets to, it was just kind of a sense of pride, right? You would see that on their helmets, whether they're 308, 402, 715, or whatever it might be. It was an identifier for them, and it was a source of pride for them. And it's potentially something that they might do here at Nebraska, and I think that's pretty cool. So as I was thinking about that, I'm going, well, why not have Finding Life Church do that? So I'm not going to let you have your own area code, even though you do. <laughs> We're going to make up our area code for Finding Life Church. And it's 445. You need to write that down on your piece of paper, your handout. I have the little parentheses in three lines, right? 445. And this is going to help you remember our strategy, our identity, and our values. And so this is our area code, for lack of a better term. We have the four, and that's our strategy, how we're going to accomplish this mission and vision. And our strategy is those four things, to gather. This is what we're doing on Sunday morning, to go, which is what we're going to call our mission and communities. We talked a little bit about that last week. We're going to really talk about it next week. So we have this gathering, we have this going, we want to be missional, we want to do life, we want to make disciples every day with the people that are around us, with about 15 to 25 people together in a neighborhood with a specific mission, whether it's people who know Christ or people who don't, we're going to go. We want to grow. We know that in order for us to be a learner of Christ, to grow, that we need to do this with two or three other people. And they're going to help us in when we think about, when we struggle with this area of the gospel of understanding who God is, of understanding what Jesus Christ has done, of understanding because of what Jesus Christ has done, this is now who we are and then not only that, but now what do we do with that? And so you are going to meet together on a weekly basis. And this is that area where you get to really be honest. And because you are being helped understand this conviction of this identity of who you are in Christ and who God is and what he's done and all of that, it allows you then to be open and to be honest with these two other people of the same sex, and they begin to speak into your life, and you become more Christ-like. Then you take that, and you infuse that into those missional communities, you infuse it into that gathering, and I believe this will be a great strategy, a great plan to, to multiply, to be ascending church, and all of that. And then the fourth one is to give. 
Gather, go, grow, give. And that is to support Finding Life Church through your time, through those gifts and abilities that God has given you, and through your treasure. The other four. So that's the first four. Here's the second four. And this is our identity. We, it's known that who we are precedes what we do. We do out of who we are. And these four things we will do whether we're in Christ or not in Christ. It's just the object of what we're doing them for. We're all learners. That's the first one. We're all learners. It's a learner of self or it's a learner of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Secondly, we are family. We're either going to have this family, immediate, right, blood, or we're going to have that plus this family that we're immediately ushered into as adopted daughters, adopted sons, and then immediately we've been given brothers and sisters in Christ all over. And then we have this family called Finding Life Church that we get to do it together. Learners, family, servants. When we say yes to Jesus, we're not only saying yes to him as Savior, we're saying yes to him as Lord. And so now when Scripture says that Jesus, even Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve, how much more should we not be that in our own life? Learners, family, servant, missionary. We are going to be an ambassador for something. We can be ambassador for self, but if we say yes to Jesus, then we are sent on mission and we're to be a missionary for him with whoever he puts across in our path, whether in word or and, and slash or deed. That's four. The first four is what? Second four is? Five. From the gospel, from identity, flows our values. This is who we are. This is what Finding Life Church is. The first one is surrender. We are going to, uh, we understand when we say yes to him that we are surrendering our life. To him, we're choosing to yield. We're saying, in essence, he is God and I am not. And I'm going to surrender to him, which is why we say yes when he says, go here, go there, do this, do that. The second one is dependency. We know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthened us. We also know that it's impossible to please him without being in Christ. We know that God is the one who does work. We know that we are dependent upon him, which means then that what are we to do? We're to be obedient. We're also to pray. Prayer is that work, our value says. So surrender, dependency, authenticity. This is the one that I hear a lot around here. 
that it's better to be real than perfect. And I believe that's true. That when we say yes to him and we really, really embrace our identity and that's where we flow from and Jesus is our rock and Jesus is our strength and our power, then we can live in freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. We can live from that and which allows us then to be real which allows us then to, to, to remove the mask because we are not afraid anymore of someone condemning us, someone shaming us, someone saying you are less than, than me or whatever because we said, I don't care because my God loves me and I'm going to be in heaven. I can bring these masks down. This is who I am. This is me. This is us. And it's a whole lot better than needing to pretend all the time because that's just painful. That's just exhausting. But we're not ready to just leave it there. When we're authentic, it means that we want to be real, but it also means that we want to grow. We want to be like Christ. We want to take it further. Surrender, dependent, authentic, graciousness. We've been given grace. God has so lavishly extended grace on us. We want to give that back. We want to be graceful to other people. And then the last one is saturation, which is a new one for us. But it's this. In Habakkuk 2.14, this verse speaks of a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When we think about waters covering the sea, that is saturation. In John 7, 38, Jesus promised that whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so this global saturation that we're going to value starts with this personal gospel saturation of a life filled with Jesus, so much so that it overflows out of who we are. God chose to make his good news known to others through Christ in us. The good news should flow out of us to others. God's plan for this whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord by his spirit in us, his church, every day and in every way. And that is gospel saturation. And that's what we're going to value as a church. We're committed. This is our statement. We're committed to seeing every man, woman, and child in every corner of the world and in every corner of Omaha, that they would have a daily encounter with Jesus, whether in word or deed, through his people, the church. This is God's vision for the world, this gospel saturation. This is how he plans to accomplish this. And it's through normal Everyday people that are saturated with his presence are filled up with him and this good news and they are 
living it out in the everyday stuff of life. And so for us, their goal, when I say they, this is an organization on the West Coast, is their, it's called Saturate. Their goal is to see for every 1,000 people in the world that there will be a missional community in that group. We're going to tag along with that. This week, I was thinking and dreaming. And then we're going to end with this because I'm over time already. And, and this is tricky because I don't know if this is something that God gave me or this is something that I'm wishing. I and mean, maybe it goes hand in hand. But I could see in this next 10 year, next 10 to 15 year plan of a hundred missional communities that have been trained and coached and call Finding Life Church their home. Which means that in this 10 year period, there's um, probably going, you know, between 15 to 20, 25 per missional community. You do the math. And it's not about numbers, but to me it's about those people are now being transformed. And it's not about transfer growth from other churches. It's about really being missional in your community. And that gets me excited. I hope you're going to say yes with my wife and I on this. That's my prayer. I mean, this is a hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And others need this in their life. And I pray that you'll be that conduit.